I don't know if you've noticed, but um, all of my colleagues and friends have gone golfing. And they didn't invite me because I guess they've seen me golf. Actually, I was uh, watching Steve. You know, Steve was telling them how badly he felt that he wasn't invited to go golfing. And I, I felt badly because that meant he stuck to have to hear me. And so I was trying to encourage him, saying, well, I'm going to really do my best. And, you know, maybe, you know. He says, no, no, it's not that. I have to go to a, a luncheon anyway, so I can't hear you either. So I want to say I'm glad you showed up because it's a real drag to speak when no one shows up. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for coming. I am uh, I, I'm glad to be invited back. Of course, I'm thrilled to be invited back anywhere that I've been before, you know, that they let me come and, and, and do it again. Scott um, spoke to us about the love of God to us through the beloved. I, I want to talk to you about the love of God through us. See, have you ever asked yourself the question, what is it that drives ministry? What drives your Christian walk? Uh, I believe it is the love of God that's got to drive your ministry. It's got to drive why you do what you do. Because I've heard people tell me that, well, well, what drives me is the love of people. I've got this humanitarian love for people. And that's good. That's good. The only trouble is that that is the driving force for your life. There's enough unlovable people out there that you're going to hit a brick wall. As a matter of fact, uh, I remember this prayer I read. I pray it from time to time. It says, May those who love us, love us, O God. And those who don't love us, God, turn their hearts. And if you can't turn their hearts, then turn their ankles so we will know them by their limping. <laughs> people out there are not always so lovable. And if you think the driving force of your ministry is going to be this tremendous love for people, you'll have enough sheep bites and you'll be burned enough times that you're going to lose heart. That is not, that is not the driving force behind life and behind ministry and behind the Christian walk. I want to argue with you this morning that indeed it is the love of God through you that drives everything you do. It is the why we do what we do. I remember in college time, that, that's when you ask the questions. You know, the questions of, you know, well, who am I? And, you know, and why am I? And, and, and where am I going? And those are questions that college students are going to ask. I went to a secular university. And I remember the answers I got to those questions weren't really that great. Who am I? <laughs> Nothing. Why am I? No reason. Where are you going? Nowhere particular. And yet you come here because of there's answers in the Word of God having to do with why God created us in the first place. Does the name Roger Bannister mean anything to anybody? It may not be uh, because you're, you're young. But um, what had happened was men have always wanted to run faster. And, and speed has always been kind of a dream and a goal of, of humanity for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. As a matter of fact, we read in ancient history at the uh, Greek Olympics that they would sometimes have the runners drink tiger's milk uh, to make them run faster. They would sometimes loose the lions. That worked. They moved a little quicker, you know, with that. Um, they felt because of the muscular and the bone structure and the resistance of wind that there was this boundary that nobody could break. That is, nobody could run a mile faster than four minutes. Nobody. Nobody ever had. Nobody they felt ever could. Until May 6, 1954. I was five years, uh, I wasn't really into it at the time, I read about it later. But uh, uh, May 6, 1954, in Oxford, England, there was this young man named Roger Bannister. And he ran the mile. And to the shock of history in the world, 
He ran this thing in, in, in three minutes, 59.4 seconds. He broke, first human being ever to break the four minute mile. But that's not interesting to me. What's interesting to me is this. The next year, the next year, guess how many guys broke the four minute mile? 37. The next year after that, guess how many men? 300. Matter of fact, two years after that, they had the uh, New York City run. It's a, it's a mile run and they brought 13 of the top runners. The guy who came in last place, guess what? Broke the four minute mile. There is something about life. Life influences life. God has created us in such a way, good or bad, we influence each other. We inspire one another or we discourage one another. When you put this whole thing together, you ask yourself the question, God created us for a reason. What is the reason? Because the reason has everything to do with the love of God. You see, in, in Psalm 8, the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth for his what? Starts with a G. I want you to be successful. For his glory, right? God created everything to manifest his uniqueness, what he's like, his personality. So he created the heavens and the earth to declare his glory. The only problem with that is you can go to the Grand Canyon in our state, you can go ahead and look at the galaxies, the sun, the moon, and you're going to learn some things about God. You're going to learn that he's big, that he's powerful, he's intelligent, he's eternal. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. But you're never going to learn anything personal about God from natural revelation. That's why Genesis 1.27, when God said, I made man, we made man in both male and female, we created man in our own image. What is in our own image stuff? It's not just the fact that man's going to have dominion, he's going to rule like God, he's going to have independent choice like God, but it means that he's going to manifest in a very unique way the glory of God. See, that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 at the very end, don't you know you're not your own Therefore, glorify God with your body and your spirit, for they belong to Him. The word glorify is the word doxadzo, like doxas, words of glory. Doxadzo means to partake of glory and to reflect it. It says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat, whether you drink, do all to the what? To the glory of God. So God has created us to be able to manifest His glory in such a way that the rest of the universe cannot. It is through these bodies we can manifest the very unique attributes, the personality of our Heavenly Father. For how else would anybody ever know that God is patient, kind, loving, just, fair, caring? You see, all the manifestations of any personality, you're either manifesting your new father or your old. You look at me funny, I'll, I'll prove it to you. Let me give you an attribute. You tell me if it's the personality, the unique personality of God the Father or the God of this age, Satan himself. Patience, God or Satan. Love. What, three of you are really into this. So we'll wake the rest of you up. Get your coffee out. Uh, hatred. Uh, 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 impatience. Destruction. Uh, Self-centeredness. Pride. In other words, if you think about it, at any given moment, when you're manifesting your personality... You are either reflecting the glory of God or reflecting the glory of the powers of darkness, one or the other. So now if God has created us to manifest his glory, I've got a problem. God is invisible. How am I going to manifest God if God's invisible? Because I don't know what God looks like. 
And so I don't know, if only, you know, if only we had God in a body, we would see what God would look like in a body. Who's the visible image of invisible God? Colossians 1.15. Who's the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form? Colossians 2.9. It's the Son. It's Jesus Christ. So, okay, if I am being conformed more and more, like the personality manifesting the pure image of the Father, Jesus Christ himself, if that is the direction I'm heading, then, then the more that I reflect the personality and the glory of Jesus Christ, that is, I respond the way he responds to people. If you want to know what's inside something, just bump it and see what spills out. See, it's not all the disciplines that make you look like you're strong Christians. It's the battlefield is how do you respond? How do you respond when someone lies about you? How do you respond when someone kicks you, hits you? I know in our church, sometimes at the end of the service, in the parking lot, I'll just drive behind somebody and just kind of, you know, ding their car just a little bit, just to watch the response. You stupid, oh, it's the pastor. Hi, pastor, praise God. You know, because I want to know what is on, what is coming out. There's the battle, is how do we respond to people? How do we respond to things? That's when the glory is shown clearest. Now, if God is invisible, but the visible image is God the Son, then now does it make sense why Jesus Christ would say in Matthew 28, as you go into this world, make disciples. Literally, as you go into this world, disciple all men and women, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you even to the end of the age. Now, why would Jesus want us to make disciples of Christ? Well, well, before that, back in Matthew 10, Jesus said, you know, it is enough when one becomes like his master. In other words, the word mathetes, disciple, the whole concept is becoming like the one that you are going to be a disciple of. Now, here's what's interesting to me. I did a study. As a matter of fact, our, our pastor, John Cavell, uh, did this study and I did some work with him on this. And we found that um, the word disciple is used really uh, all over the New Testament, but not really. Here's what I'm saying. You don't find it in the Old Testament. You find it 265 times in the New Testament, but you only find it in the Gospels and the book of Acts. You will not find it in any other book of the Bible. But the 265 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts, it's all over the place. But Jesus only refers to somebody becoming my disciple of those 265 times. Jesus only uses it eight times. And of the eight, seven of them are conditional. That is, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you will do this. If you don't do that, you're not my disciple. In other words, what he's saying is if my purpose of life is to manifest the unique glory of God, then, then I'm going to have to become a disciple of Christ for the Spirit of God to be able to reflect his glory through me. That's why and who and where I'm going. That's what my life's all about. Well, then I want to know what are these things that he says, if you want to be my disciple, you will. If you want to be my disciple, you will. Well, we're not here for a week, only one shot. So I want to give you just one. Turn to uh, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. John, chapter 13. Here's one of the seven times Jesus says, Hey, you want to be my disciple? You want to let the Spirit of God change you in such a way that you will actually fulfill why you were created in the first place? It says this in John 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now here's the kicker. 
By this all men will know you are what? Hello, anybody home? You are what? My disciples. If, there's the if, there's the condition. If you what? Love one another. So, if I want to be manifesting the fact that I'm becoming a disciple of Christ, then I better get a handle on this whole issue of the love of God not flowing through me, because it doesn't flow, folks. But how do I permit the love of God to be practiced through me? I have it to me, like Scott said in the Beloved, but how does it, I mean, how do you get a spiritual draino so that it goes out of me? And Jesus says, if you don't get a handle on what it means to how to love one another, so the world will know you're my disciples. He says, well, then don't call yourself my disciple. You shame my name. Well, then let's get a handle on this love, if it is the love of God coming through me. You know, the word love is confusing, like some of the other guys have already shared with you. I mean, think about it. You, know, you love your wife, you love your dog, you love your, you know, what, you, what is love? And of course, you know, the Greeks had all kinds of words, and I know you've done your own word studies. Of course, you have, you have the word eros, which is this kind of passion, you know, kind of lust, kind of romantic. I love it personally, but it's only with your wife. But you don't find it in the scriptures. So you got eros, that's an emotion. Then, then the Bible talks about phileo, uh, that's kind of a, when, when two people share something in common, and they really love what they share in common. There's an affinity for one another. That relationship, whether it be the army or, sorry, Air Corps, Air Corps, excuse me. You can tell by your posture. It's got to be Air Corps. Anyway, the fact is, whether it be the military service or basketball or golf, I'm not bitter. Whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. The fact is that when you have this love for this common thing, there's an affection for one another. That's why we Christians have phileo for one another. Because of our common love for Jesus Christ... I don't care where you go on the planet, you're going to find an immediate affection for brothers and sisters in Christ. It's remarkable in the terms of Chris Mueller. Unbelievable. Well, the fact is, is that's still an emotion. Then they have the word storge. And storge speaks of the kind of uh, emotion you have for family. You know, like Aunt Zelma and, you know, Uncle Bowman. It kind of, it's an emotion. It can be good and bad, but it's family kind of love. But they're all emotions. What's interesting about here in John 13 is what does Jesus do here? He says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Question, can you command an emotion? Try it. You cannot command an emotion. Because when you command something, it's an act of the will. And if it's an act of the will, it doesn't begin with emotion. It has to do with your choice. You make a choice to obey the command or you make a choice not to obey the command. So here Jesus says, I'm going to give you a command for you to make a choice. I don't care right now how you feel about it. I'm more concerned what you're thinking about it. He says, you make a choice to love one another. And again, it's the word agape. Or agapao, the verb form. is. And it's interesting, the word was not that popular word among the, the Greek writers because all it really meant was to value something. Now, a little mistake that sometimes we make is we think that the word agape means in and of itself the love of God. No, 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 it does not. The word agape does not mean in itself the love of God. For example, the world talks about having, or John talks about the world having an agape love as well. Because all the word means is to value something, to, to recognize and treat something with worth. Again, you look at me funny, I'll prove it to you. Turn to 1 John 2.15. And here, John says this in 1 John 2.15. He says, do not love the world. Guess what that word is, folks, in the, in the original? 
You're probably right. Take a while. What do you think the point's going to be here? It's the word agape. Alright, it's a word agape. Do not have an agape for the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of God is not in you if you've confused and you've got the wrong agape. You say, well, what, what does it mean? Well, if the word agape, if the word love simply means to recognize worth, well, then on what basis, what makes something important? What makes something of worth? What makes something a, 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 a precious to you? Well, he tells you the love of the world. He gives it to you in the next verse. He says in verse um, 16, For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father. It is the agape from the world. In other words, it's simple. Basically, how does the world set worth? John says three ways. If in the world you want to feel worth, important, and be treated as such, then either it's going to be the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life. Now what is the uh, 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 lust of the flesh? Well, without getting way into it, it basically boils, boils down to this. You have worth to me if you make me feel good. So if I can somehow appease the flesh, make somebody feel good, then I have worth according to the agape of this world. Now, uh, they say, you know, beauty is skin deep, but ugly is down to the bone. What if you're in a situation that, you know, I don't really, and I'm in one of those, that's why I have a personality. You know, I don't bring much fleshly pleasure to anybody. <laughs> well, Holly pretends, but I, I, I'm sure that's just not where I'm at. Then it says the lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes is then if some way you can make me look good. So why is a, a new car... Brand new 1996 vet would be really nice wrapped around this body. It's because in the world, that vet it would be important to me because it makes me look good. Or this, you know, cute little blonde, well, if I was single, you know, make me look good. Or straight A's, make me look good. And that's why I'm driven and consumed with academia. In other words, the world says, hey, if something makes somebody uh, feel good, then that something has worth. Or if something can make somebody look good, then it's got worth and you better recognize its value. Thirdly, this boastful pride of life. If for some reason some things don't make you feel good, some things don't make you look good, but the boastful pride of life boils down to this. Does it serve you in some way? If it serves me in some way, if it somehow uh, meets my needs or does what I want it to do, see, we've got this thing, folks. Uh, we talk about, you talk about pride. You know what the essence of pride is? The opposite of pride, based on James 4, is humility. And, and, and the essence of humility is simply this. God, you're God, and I'm not. Let's start there. Now what that means is this. How is a God treated? Well, based on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, uh, a God has his will done, and a God is served. Isn't that interesting? In other words, revered, that is, he is uh, revered, his will is done, and he is served. Hmm. What are the two reasons why I get angry more than anything else? Either it's when my will's not being done, or I'm not being served. We all talk about, you know, yes, make me a servant. You know, we all want to be servants. You know, it's great being a servant until you're treated like one. You know what I'm saying? But the fact is, is God, it is his wills to be done, and he's to be served. So when I demand my will done, I want it when I want it, how I want it, and I want it now. Me, myself, and I. The blessed trinity. It's right here. 
I love me, I think I'm grand. When I go to the show, I hold my hand. I put my hand above my waist, and when I get fresh, I slap my face. This self-love deal, this whole idea that I want to be served, and I want my will done, you know what it is, gang? It is simply visions of divinity. It is pride. That's what arrogance is all about. So the world says, all right, maybe you can't make somebody feel good. Maybe you don't make them look good. But if you can somehow carry out their will or serve them, that is make them feel like a god, they will, play, they will treat you with worth. You'll have importance. The problem with this whole thing, it's all performance. No wonder people go crazy trying to be accepted and loved and cared for and feel important and of great worth. It's because we're either trying to make people feel good, look good, or we're trying to treat them like a god. Well, that is the agape of the world. Well, then what is this agape? What is the love of God? Because if it's going to flow through me, well, if it's going to be, uh, cho- uh, I'm going to make a choice to let it permit go through me, then I've got to put a handle on what this thing is. Well, if that's the love of the world, and John says, if you've got the love of the world, that is, if that's the standards you live by, if those are the rules you believe make something of great worth, then you don't have a love, you don't understand the love of the Father. For he says the love of the Father is something totally different. Matter of fact, in here in 1 John, go to chapter 4, look at verses 7 and 8. He says this, John continues this whole thing in love. In the, God, in, in, in the letter of John, he talks about three issues. And this one, love, he just kind of keeps coming back and back and back and back, rediscussing it. He does it again here in chapter 4, look at verse 7. He says, beloved, ooh, isn't that great? Ooh, wish Scott was here, but he's golfing. Anyhow, I wish Scott was here to say the same way that we are now called beloved. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Here's why. For God is love. Question you, you, you English majors. God is love. What's the verb? Is is the verb. See, so many people say, well, love is always a verb. No, it's not. Uh, love, God so loved the world. John 3.16, yes, that's a verb. Here it's not a verb. God is love. Matter of fact, I had a sweet little old lady tell me it is a predicate nominative. <laughs> anyway, what that means <laughs> is that that basically, it, the, it's, it's when the object describes the subject. So that it's not that God does love. He is love. That is, there's something in God that causes him to value what he makes. No matter how it turns out. That's the good news. See, you and me, we're not love. Guys, guys, do you remember um, wood shop in junior high? Remember we used to make things out of wood? It was Everything I made ended up being an ashtray. Even my surfboard was a cigar tray. It's like if I made something and it turned out right, then I valued it. But if I made something and it didn't turn out right, I called it junk because Daryl's not love. But when the Bible says God is love, it is part of who he is. He values what he makes for no other reason than he created it. No matter how it turns out. That's why it's not just God just loves believers being conformed to his son. No, for God so loved the world, the whole cosmos. He loves humanity. Now, how much? What, what is the worth? How do you know something? what something's worth? I mean, you got a pot, you got a picture. Well, basically it boils down to what? But somebody's willing to pay for it, right? Well, then let me ask you. Um, how much worth does God set upon human beings? What did he pay for them? 
First Peter chapter 1 says, Don't you realize that you've been redeemed? Means you've been purchased, bought. What was the price? You've been redeemed. He says, not with silver and gold. In other words, God did not pay a thing for you. He paid a person. He says, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if I read that right, that tells me outside the Trinity, as John used to say, we're the hottest thing in this universe. In other words, God basically says that he has placed the worth on us, that we're worth the son to him. That's what Scott was getting at. We are worth the son to him. Now that makes you feel real good. So that's why we're not into self-esteem. Why do I need to esteem myself? What a stupid thing. But rather just recognize the fact that God's created me. I have no problem worm theology. I'm a worm. But man, I'm a worm that God really loves. He's in the worms. So that's fine. I don't mind being a worm. That's not the big issue. I've learned to not take myself so seriously. But to take the word of God and take God seriously. And what he says about me, that I take seriously. So you put this all together, and what he's saying is this. If God created human beings, and God is love, and God values what he creates, and the value he's placed on human beings is the, is the cost of his son, Jesus Christ, then what is your worth? You're worth Jesus Christ to the Father. Now, if that is your worth, this is why love is one of the three spiritual birthmarks in 1 John. In 1 John 5.13, John says, You know, I wrote this book, I write these things that you might know. The word is oida, without any doubt, that you might know that you have eternal life. What are these things? And through the book, he gives the three birthmarks again and again. And the first birthmark is the Spirit of God. And the way you know that you're a child of God, you have the Spirit of God. And here's three ways you know you have the Spirit of God, according to John in 1 John. First, Spirit of God gives you desires you never had before, that is, to keep the commands of Christ. That's 1 John 2, 3. By this we know we've come to know him if we tereo, guard, keep his, protect his commands. So you see, that's why it's a new covenant. The law of God is in your heart. You don't have to try to keep rules like John said last night, but rather you have a desire to keep the commandments of Christ. That's the first way you know you've got Spirit of God in you. Second thing is that... You don't have a doubt that a short little five foot six foot foot five foot seven little Jewish guy living all living almost two thousand years ago, that this little Jewish guy was God in a body, and he got himself killed, but this was a sacrifice of all the ages by the Creator, and, and then he was raised from the dead. And then if you believe that he was the sacrifice that God provided for the world, your your sins are going to be forgiven. And you're going to live forever and ever. That is such a ludicrous, absolutely impossible story to believe. Then why is it that you have absolutely no problem believing it? That's what Jesus said in John 6. He says, no man comes unto me. The gospel is impossible to believe. So don't try to convince people. But Jesus said in John 6, no man come unto me unless my father, what? Draws him. He says in the next verse, and my father in heaven, he will teach them who I am. Second way you know that you have the Spirit of God is you recognize that Jesus is the Christ. He is God the Son. But this is the third birthmark. And the third birthmark is this. The Spirit of God in you causes you to recognize something the rest of the world doesn't recognize. And that is the worth of another human being. We as Christians have the Spirit of God who causes us to recognize that every human being, born or unborn, they're worth Jesus Christ to the Father. Now, we only have one last question to answer then to put a handle on this thing and put it together. 
And that's basically this. How do I communicate and manifest that worth? Now, if you don't believe it's unique, I was reading Smithsonian Magazine. You say, you're kidding. <laughs> I was trying to get some sleep. But anyway, I was reading Smithsonian Magazine, and there was this article this last month by John uh, Wiley Jr. And uh, our title of the article is, it's about origins of the universe. The title of the article, um, it's um, Phenomenon, Comments, and Notes. And, uh, and what he says is this, and this is a scientist, an unbeliever, atheist deal, and he kind of puts this, this origin of the universe based on the best scientific research down to one sentence, and that's this. Hydrogen is a, is a vaporous gas that when given enough time turns into people. There we got it. We got the, the best. Matter of fact, did you read USA Today? Front page? They have found the link. Say, what link? The link us with apes. See, the problem is you had apes and you had on all four. So we had, we were on all four, you know, 30, 40 million years ago. But then we have these other bones, like, you know, little Lucy, uh, she's on two, two. So how do you get from four to two? Well, they're so excited. In Spain, Barcelona, they found the bones of, this is great, right off, this is as of this morning. They have found the bones of a chimpanzee that the hand, the hand is phenomenal. The hand, the first bones of the fingers are long longer than normal which means they could swing on trees you got it you go huh it's not well, see what the argument is this is a 9.5 million old swinger is what they're saying i mean it's what they said i didn't say that uh from being on all fours to be on twos we gotta have kind of swinging in the trees first so we can have a link isn't this brilliant i love it do you wonder what i'm saying is this is that we live in a world that people are saying that we're converted hydrogen, we're an accident, we're plasma, we're just a hunk of chunk or whatever. You know, I, I used to be a hunk, now I'm just a chunk, I know that. But the fact that, you know, we're all of this, that, instead of human beings were created by a God who is love. And nobody recognizes that unless they see it in the scriptures or the Spirit of God causes you to recognize the worth of human beings as a unique creation of God. Well, then now the question is, well, then how do we manifest this love? How do I treat you if you're worth Jesus Christ to the Father? That's the love of God says, you're worth Jesus Christ to the Father. So the love of God says, I need to respond to you as if I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I need to respond to you as I'd respond to Jesus Christ. All right, how do I treat you with worth? Look at uh, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 4. He says, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him and he through us. Here's how it works. Verse 10. In this is agape, the love of God. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. So, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, and that's how you do it. You do it the way God did it. How did God do it? Notice the four things he says right there in verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. He initiated the whole thing. He initiated the whole thing. You see, if you come to me and ask me to wash your car, I may go wash it, but you don't know why I'm washing it. I may bill you. I may be afraid of you. I mean, he's had this moment of insanity. I don't know. 
But the fact is, if I see your car's dirty and you got, you know, Jesus loves you and a full gospel written all over the back window, kind of a deal, and I just go and I initiate it, it's my idea, and I initiate it and I wash your car, you're seeing the purest form of love. I am treating you with worth. But notice, what did he initiate? He sent, notice that he, not that we love God, but that he loved us, that he sent. So he initiated, number two, an action. So the love of God, what it looks like coming our way so we can make it go that way, is God initiated an action. What was the action? He sent his son. He sent his son. Boy, Scott made the point and he nailed us, folks. We're talking sacrifice. I think uh, last night uh, uh, um, when, when, when uh, um, uh, he's golfing too, so I'm bitter at him. Uh, anyhow, Daniel, when Daniel was talking about, you know, the self-sacrifice in the love of God, absolutely. You see, when God sent his son, that was the greatest sacrifice the father could ever make. Now think about it. How do you communicate worth to somebody? Guys, you know, you got your girlfriend, you want to buy her a gift, so you go out and you, and you buy her this neat little whatever, and you show it to her and she goes, oh, this is great. You go, oh, I got her that blue light special at at Kmart. Gals, that's when it goes over like a pregnant pole vaulter, right? Because you sit there and say, oh, you got a deal. Well, yeah, I got a deal. We think it's great. No, 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 no. Remember when, when, when Mary Magdalene, she, she, she breaks the, 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 the perfume? And remember, Judas is really ticked. That's a year's wages. Jesus says, knock it off. Well, you know, if I was Jesus, the Bible would have read a little differently. But basically, <laughs> Judas, knock it off. This woman's going to be remembered because of what she did this day. And here we are almost 2,000 years ago, and she's still being remembered this day. I'm still speaking of it, and we are as well. In other words, there's a point of extravagance because extravagance means great sacrifice. Greater the sacrifice, the greater worth you're communicating. My, uh, Holly and I just celebrated our, our 25th anniversary, and my first son just got married, May 13th. And he went out and got a great deal, and he got this rock. It's a little, it's about, a, what is it? It's a 0.6 of a carat or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, we're in the ministry. So anyhow, he got the 0.6 of a carat deal. But, but the problem is, you know, Tiffany showed my wife. Oh, and Holly thinks it's so great. But I noticed that John could afford more than I could afford 25 years ago when I was working at McDonald's for a buck an hour. And Holly's little rock was a little smaller. So I realized, oh, could have had a V8. I realized what I must do for my 25th anniversary. One plus one equals two. I'm smarter than I look. Daryl, you better get a bigger rock. Well, I, I did. And I got a loan for my second son. I just finished paying him off. It's great. He's got all the money. <laughs> and so she, I got her a 0.75 carat, you know, because, you know, I don't want somebody to cut her finger off. But the fact, just a little bit, a little bit bigger. She deserves it because we've been married longer. She suffered more than Tiffany has. The fact is, but that thing cost me, oh man, I forget what it was. But all I know is that it was sacrificed. But you want to know? The greater the sacrifice, the greater worth is communicated. So God here says he initiated an action that cost him something. Great sacrifice, and notice, to be a propitiation for our sins. What does the word propitiation mean? It means payment, satisfaction. That is, what was the greatest need, the greatest need we had? Forgiveness of our sin. So what did God do? How did God, the love of God, touch us? He initiated an action of self-sacrifice to meet our need. To meet our deep need. Now, if that's how God loved us, it's not going to flow. But I need to make choices because it's a command of Jesus Christ. 
So how do I choose to love you? See, it has nothing to do with how I feel about you. We don't even have to like each other. I don't understand why you wouldn't like me. I'm a nice guy. But for whatever reason, you're offended at humor. I don't know. But the fact still is, we don't have to emotionally be attached. But I have to, if I want to be a disciple of Christ, choose to first recognize you're worth Jesus Christ to the Father. Therefore, any response, any interaction I have with you, I'm going to try to initiate some actions that cost me something, some time, some energy, some study, some some reputation, some, some whatever. Cost me something to meet needs in your life. That's why I want to know. We, we, we as friendships, we talk to each other. We pray for each other. We, we are honest with each other. Where are you hurting? What's going on? What, what do you need in your life for your spiritual life and your spiritual growth? Because that gives us a chance to make choices to love one another. Do you understand what's going on here? So this is what he's saying. As we talk about you know, the love of God to us, but now the love of God, and it just, I would love to say it just flows and flows, but it comes down to choices. You know, I'm convinced the longer I've been in the ministry is, you know what faith is? Faith is hundreds and hundreds of decisions and choices you make every day. Every time you choose one more time, I'm going to do what God says. I know what I want to do here, but I think I'm going I'm to honor the Lord. I'm not going to say that because I don't think that would honor the Lord. Every time I make a choice to honor the one who created me, that's, that's, that's walking by faith. And so how can I become a disciple of Christ so I can manifest more and more the beauty of the glory of God? So when I make those choices to recognize your great worth, you're worth Jesus Christ to the Father. I'm going to treat you with that worth because I'm going to initiate actions of self-sacrifice to meet the needs that I know that you have in your life. And when I do that, you're being loved. You're being loved with the love of God. And the only reason I can do that is because I have been loved by the love of God. You know, I love being, being a French Cajun. I was raised with stories. I love stories. I love hearing stories. I love seeing stories. You know what I love about stories? I, I love stories with a happy ending. My wife thinks, you know, I have the death of a thimble sometimes because of that. Because, you know, you've you know, you got to get real life. I see real life all the time. I like happy endings. You want to know why I like happy endings? It's because before my eyes... I get to see reconciliation. I get to see redemption. We see something, whether it be a film or a book or a novel, whatever, and we see loyalty. We see love. We see purity. We see these wonderful attributes of God and we get so engaged because the beauty of the glory of God through a human being is something to be seen. The thing that is so ashamed is for the most part it's got to be scripted in some film and human beings have to act. What I love is not having to see it in a film or be told in a story, but just to be able to see among the Christian community the story of reconciliation and the attributes of God of kindness and loyalty and purity and love. Because when I see that, I see disciples of Christ. When I see disciples of Christ, I see people who understand what it means to recognize the great worth God has placed on human beings. And then to treat them with that worth by initiating actions of self-sacrifice to meet their needs. I close with a story that I love. I, I might have shared it before, but I don't care. I want to share it again. I love this story. There's this older man. And this older guy, uh, he you know, spent his whole life building up his wealth and his riches. And he had Learjets and corporations and homes all over the place. But when he got into his 50s and then in his 60s, he realized he, he had really missed out a lot on, on life and love 
So he, he married, actually married a gal in her 40s or so, I read. And, um, and, but she was young enough to give him a child, had a little boy. And he loved this little guy. This little guy was his life. Well, apparently, uh, uh, coming home one night, the mother and the little boy, it was raining, the roads were slick, the car went off the road, and they were lost, killed. Just devastated this man. Just devastated this man. Matter of fact, within two months, he died. Because of his wealth, he had the most fascinating will, and this is what put it in the newspapers. What he did was they invited, to, they had an auction. His will was an auction. But it was uh, invited just certain people, you know, who of great, you know, means came by private invite to this auction where they auction off all the, 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 the homes and the corporations and all the different stuff and the complexities of it. And so, you know, out there they all drove up to this mansion in the Rolls Royces and the Mercedes Benz and the Lexus and the Honda Preludes. <laughs> I love my car. Anyway, they pulled them all in there and all these rich, you know, black tie deal hors d'oeuvres and all that deal. Finally, time for the auction. Guy begins the auction. And according to the will that they had these envelopes sequentially uh, uh, numbered and, and according to the will he had to open up the first envelope, auction it off and then that was auctioned, go to the second item, third, fourth and on through the, uh, uh, the inheritance. Well, the guy opened up the first letter and he read, he said, I love my son more than anything else on this earth. And what it was is there was this oil painting, this big huge oil painting of his boy. And so he went ahead and that was the first item to be auctioned. So they went to the auction. Okay, what is my, you know, 5,000, 5,004, 4,000, 3,000, 2,000. Do I have 1,000? Do I have 1,000? Do I have 500? 500. It was as quiet as it is right now. Well, the auctioneer finally, because, you know, people got a little, you know, embarrassed and kind of coughing and this kind of a deal. And the auctioneer said, ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand we cannot proceed with the auction until someone has purchased this painting of this man's son. Well, apparently, outside looking through the window was the gardener, this old guy that had, that had known about how much the father loved this little kid. Matter of fact, the little guy used to ride with him on his lawnmower, you know, going mowing the mansion, you know, grass and that whole deal. And so this little guy, just tears coming down his eye, his, his cheek, he pulls in his pocket and he had like three $1 bills, I guess it was, and he just holds it up. Auctioneer sees it at a distance and says, sold for whatever that bid is. Well, then the old man, he was walking to, to pay to take the painting. Meanwhile, the auctioneer, you know how this ends, Oh, I love it. He opens up the second letter. second letter says, Because of my great love for my son, and that he was my life and my breath and my being, whoever would so purchase the portrait of my boy, I leave my entire inheritance. <laughs> the reason I love that story because that's the story. God the Father gave us his most precious gift, his son Jesus Christ. And he said, will you value what I value? And his precious son Jesus Christ says, to the Father, you're worth me to him. Now so the world will know you are my disciples. So you can manifest the glory of my Father. Would you begin to let the love of God be seen through you? Not in some script, not in some film, but through you. As you do what my Father did to you. As you initiate different things, action, that costs you something to meet needs you see. 
Thus the world will see the purest form of love flowing through you. Not really flowing, but you making the choice to let the love of God touch other people as it's touched you. Does this make sense or do we need to go through the whole thing one more time? Would you pray with me? And let me follow you just a little bit because you are, most of you, the ages of my boys. This is so important, guys, gals. Right now, whose worth are you not recognizing? Who are you ignoring? You want to know what the opposite of love is? It's not hate. It's indifference. Don't shame the name you bear by being indifferent to one another's needs. Here this semester, you have a chance, as you have done, many have done, to show the glory of God when people come, whether you're playing ball, student, ministry, whatever you're involved in. Not just the Christians, but the non-Christians. When they see you initiating, not waiting to be asked, different things that you do that cost you something, that meets need that you know they have, and let them see the purest love of God, the glory of God through you, you have honored your Heavenly Father. You are becoming a disciple of Christ. Who am I? I'm a child of God created by God. Why am I? I'm here to manifest the beauty of the glory of God through human beings. Where am I going? I'm going out to touch needs, the sacrifice, actions that I initiate. This day, here's your homework assignment, that you be doers, not hearers only. This day, you initiate something to meet the need that cost you something of someone else. Take a moment and decide who it is. And you do it before your head hits the pillow. You do it before your head hits the pillow. Not only for them, but that you might not forget what you have heard this day. Father, burn this truth into our hearts. Thank you, you've given us the privilege to be created in your image, to manifest the beauty of your glory, of your unique personality. And Father, even though the image has been marred by the fall, we are being redeemed and changed by the Spirit of God within us. Thank you for the love of God. Oh, Father, let the love of God touch others through us. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. God's people said, Amen. God bless you.